Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. We're highlighting remarks made in August 2023 by Riley Gaines during a Will County Republican Organization banquet in 2022 while swimming for the University of Kentucky in the 200-yard NCAA Women's Freestyle Championship. Ms. Gaines tied for fifth place with University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas, a man who self-identifies as a woman. Ms. Gaines is now traveling across the country calling for the protection of women's sports, safety, privacy, and American values. She's also recently launched the Riley Gaines Center. It would have been really easy for me to continue on with the plans that I had made, but being in the position that I was in and seeing what I saw, I saw what, what was at stake if someone didn't fight for this. I saw the women who came before me and fought relentlessly for Title IX. I saw the present female athletes who were in my exact same position who were effectively silenced. I see this next generation of those girls who came right before soccer practice to be here. And I saw what was at stake if someone didn't fight for them. A little bit about me and my swimming. Grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. Grew up swimming, started at four. Of course, I swam all the way through college, graduated at 22. So this means I spent 18 years of my life dedicated to my sport, but not to mention the weightlifting and the diet and the sleep schedule and, you know, your physical rehabilitation, not to mention the social sacrifices you have to make to, to compete at that highest level. I was one of the top recruits in the country, and I really could have gone anywhere that I wanted. And so this Kentucky coach, he kept pestering me and bugging me, come on a trip here. And so I thought, okay, you know what, this coach, he keeps messaging me. But really, I went and I, I fell in love with the university. And so my junior year, this was when I was first voted team captain. This was when University of Kentucky won its first ever SEC title as a team. This is when I won my first individual SEC title. And ultimately, I ended up finishing seventh in the country. I knew that I was capable of more. And so it was right then and there that I placed seventh my junior year that I knew my senior year I wanted to win a national title, um, which would, of course, mean becoming the fastest female in the country in my respective event. And so senior year starts up, and I'm right on pace to achieve that goal. So about November of 2021, I was ranked third in the country, trailing the girl in second, who I knew very well, because like, like most sports, your top-tier athletes, you know of each other, regardless of where you compete in the country. So, so the girl who's in second, I was trailing her by a few one-hundredths of a second, maybe a few tenths of a second. But this swimmer, who was ranked first in the country by body lengths, I'd never heard of before. And this is the first time I became aware of a swimmer named Leah Thomas. And so there was a lot of red flags at the time. Again, unbeknownst to me, this was anything other than a female. This person was a senior. No one comes out of nowhere, thin air, their senior year. This person was leading the country again by body lengths, which in swimming, that's a lot. And this person was ranked leading the country in the 100 freestyle, which was a sprint, and all of the freestyle events in between until the mile which was long distance. And so if you think about this in terms of your Olympic runners, you don't have your best 200 meter runner being your best marathon runner. 
But that's what we were seeing in this person. And so there's lots of head scratching. You know, I'm talking to my coaches. I'm talking to my parents. I'm talking to my teammates. Who is this person? We had no idea. There's this database called USA Swimming. And you can go up and look up someone's name and track their time progression. And so if you were to look up the name Riley Gaines, you would see my times from when I was eight years old all the way through. And so I'm looking up this name, Leah Thomas. Like, where did this person come from? There was no history of this person until that year. I couldn't make sense of it. Until an article came out in a blip of a sentence. It says word for word. Leah Thomas is formerly Will Thomas and swam three years on the men's team at University of Pennsylvania before deciding to switch to the women's team. Of course, I was so shocked by this. But really, I felt a sense of relief because I went to that same database to look up who Will Thomas was because I was curious, you know, is this Someone who went from ranking first among the men to now continuing to rank first? Was this a lateral movement? We saw this was a mediocre male swimmer at best, ranking 462nd the year prior when competing nationally against the men, to now dominating the women. I thought the NCAA would see it how I saw it, how my parents saw it, my teammates, again, my coaches, how anyone with like any amount of brain activity would probably comprehend this. I thought that's how the NCAA would, but they did not. The NCAA saw absolutely nothing wrong with allowing Thomas to compete with the women. And so about three weeks before our national championships, they announced that it was a non-negotiable. Thomas's performance in the women's category was a non-negotiable, and there was nothing we could do about it. And so I got to personally witness and really feel the effect that this infringement, this injustice had on myself and my teammates and my competitors. I don't claim to speak for every single person on that pool deck, but I can wholeheartedly attest to the tears that I saw from ninth and 17th place finishers who missed out on being named an All-American by one place. And I can wholeheartedly attest to the extreme discomfort when you turn around and there's a six foot four, 22 year old man fully intact with an exposing male genitalia inches away from where you're simultaneously undressing. And I can wholeheartedly attest to the, the grumbles and the whispers of anger and frustration from these girls who just like myself had worked our entire lives to get to that meet. It's the fastest meet in the world, our NCAA championships. So I'm watching in the morning and there's about eight heats or so. And my team, University of Kentucky, we were sat next to Virginia Tech. And one of the girls, she had swam in one of the previous heats from Virginia Tech, and she got out of the water, and she knew she was going to be right on the cusp of making top 16. She had swam in the previous heat. She got out, and we're watching this final heat in the morning compete, where, of course, Thomas is swimming, and, and, of course, Thomas is dominating. That last heat concludes, and she looks up at the scoreboard to see where she ended up ranking overall, and she got 17th. And I will never forget, this is when my feelings shifted entirely. Because up until this point, I felt, obviously I knew it was wrong. I felt kind of confused. I felt more so frustrated, but I will never forget. She grabbed my hand. Again, I knew her, but I didn't know her that well. And she looks at me with tears running down her face. And she says, I just got beat by someone who didn't even have to try. And I felt like I'd been punched in the stomach. I felt betrayed. I felt belittled. I couldn't imagine being in Reka's position and being missing out on, on being named an All-American, such an amazing achievement. Flash forward to that evening, surprise, Thomas wins a national title, beating Olympians, beating American record holders. I mean, these aren't scrubs. These are the best this world has ever seen, again, by body links. And so that next day of competition, 
was the 200 freestyle, which is the event that Thomas and I raced in. And so we swam that morning. We both qualified top eight. We weren't in the same heat that morning. And we come back that evening. We dive in the water. We race. We touch the wall. And almost impossibly enough, we went the exact same time down to the hundredth of a second. We had tied. And so I get out of the water, and I go behind the awards podium where typically, you know, they'll, they'll hand you your little $5 production trophy, and you're marched out, and you're named an All-American. And so we go back there. And the official looks at both Thomas and myself. Again, Thomas, who's towering over me at six foot four, me at a measly five foot five and a half, <laughs> and says, Great job, but you guys tied, and we only have one trophy. So we're going to give this trophy to Leah. I was so taken aback by this. And I asked the question that no one dared ask all season. And I said, Why? I know we tied. I know there's, you know, you don't necessarily account for ties. I know there's one trophy. But why are you adamant on giving this trophy to Thomas? And so he kind of stutters on his words, and he's, uh, uh, well, we're just doing this in chronological order. Okay, G comes before T. So what are you being chronological about? And I actually appreciate his honesty because he said, well, we were actually advised when photos are being taken Leah has to have the trophy. You can pose with this one, but again, Riley, you have to give yours back. Leah takes the trophy home. And I knew all season what was happening. The unfair competition was wrong. I knew the locker room aspect was wrong. I knew the silencing that we were dealing with was wrong. But when they reduced everything we had worked, not just that year, our entire lives for down to a photo op to validate the feelings and the identity of a male at the expense of our own, that's when I was done waiting. Because up until this point, I really was, I was waiting. I was cowering, I thought surely someone else would do it. Surely a coach would stick up for us. Surely someone's dad would. Surely someone with political power, someone within the NCAA, some other swimmer, someone who is supposed to be protecting us. I thought surely they would protect us. But I remember the exact moment. I'm standing on that podium holding this trophy I know I have to give back. And let me reiterate, I I could have cared less about the trophy. Um, I'm a 12-time All-American. I have lots of those at home. It's not the tangible object of the trophy. It was the principle behind it. And it hit me across across the face, the realization that if we as women, we as female athletes weren't willing to stick up for ourselves, we couldn't expect someone else to do it. If we want change, this has to come from us. We can't smile on this podium and then expect someone to save us. And so it was right then and there that I knew that I wanted to take a public stance in acknowledging how this is harmful. And so I know I mentioned the locker room, but if I had to see it, you guys at least have to hear about it. First of all, we weren't forewarned we would be sharing a changing space. We had no prior knowledge of this until, again, you're in that locker room undressing, And let me kind of set the scene of a swimming locker room. There's not a lot of modesty. Uh, I mean, these suits you put on, it takes about 15 minutes to really tuck and poke and prod your skin rolls. And and now that I'm done swimming, my fat rolls really into these suits. Um, But 15 minutes of which you're fully exposed. And I think we can all acknowledge how locker rooms in general, aren't a comfortable place. But growing up a swimmer, you almost become comfortable being vulnerable in that environment. But I can't even describe to you how that's immediately stripped, that vulnerability 
is immediately stripped when someone with male eyes walks into that room. It was loud, lots of talking, and all of a sudden it gets dead silent. I'm like, that's weird. And I turn around and I look up, and again, a six foot four man walks in and he starts undressing out of his women's swimsuit, fully intact and exposing male parts. Inches away from where we were, everyone was inherently covering themselves. And I immediately left that locker room. And I went up to one of the officials on the pool deck. And I said, what are the guidelines that just allowed a man to be undressing in our, our changing space? I understand the guidelines for the competition. It was a, a measly 12 months of HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy. And they didn't check levels. They trusted. If you said, I have been on hormone replacement therapy for 12 months, they trusted that. I mean, there's no amount that's enough to mitigate male advantage, but 12 months, come on, that's nothing. I said, but what are the guidelines that allowed a man into our locker room? And I'll never forget, he's so nonchalantly, says, oh, well, we actually got around this by making the locker rooms unisex. And I remember thinking, unisex? I told him, you realize by admitting you had to change the rules, you're admitting this isn't a woman, right? You realize you just admitted that. <laughs> and secondly, unisex? So any man, any coach, any parent, to be totally frank, any pervert who wanted to be in that locker room had full reins to be, and bare minimum, we weren't even told about it. So that's what the locker room looked like. But there's one other piece about this, this national championships that the media has, to no one's surprise, done a terrible job of covering. At the same meet where we had Leah Thomas, who is, of course, male transitioning to a woman, we had another trans athlete who was a female transitioning to a man. We were told we had to fully treat this person as a man, uh, using he, him pronouns when referring to Izzy, who now goes by the name of Isaac. If we were really basing this off gender identity, why didn't we have Izzy, now Isaac, competing with the men? It's because Izzy, now Isaac, would never and will never be able to compete at that same level against the men. Izzy, now Isaac, ended up finishing top five in the country as a woman. Obviously an incredible swimmer to finish top five in the country. Now, Izzy is competing with the men and finishes dead last every single time. The one meet I watched of hers, the only male swimmer she beat was a male swimmer with one arm. Conservative women's rights activist Riley Gaines. More of her remarks before Will County Republicans after this. America's chaplain faces jail time for the crime of being an American. Chaplain Stephen Lee tells his story 7 p.m. Tuesday, January 9th at the Church of Christian Liberty in Arlington Heights. Find out more at IllinoisFamily.org. We're going to fight this thing. This is bigger than me. Chaplain Lee provided pastoral care in the wake of natural disasters, 9-11, Columbine, and when 2020 election fraud charges surfaced in Georgia, he was there to offer spiritual help and guidance. But a left-wing prosecutor wants to silence him. This transcends politics, things like faith, family, and freedom. Help Chaplain Lee fight for freedom. Join him 7 p.m. Tuesday, January 9th at the Church of Christian Liberty in Arlington Heights. Find out more at IllinoisFamily.org. Go to IllinoisFamily.org.
Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. We're featuring remarks made by conservative women's rights activist Riley Gaines before Will County Republicans back in August 2023. In 2022, while swimming for the University of Kentucky in the 200-yard NCAA Women's Freestyle Championship, Miss Gaines tied for fifth place with University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas, a man who self-identifies as a woman. Once I had decided that next day after Thomas and I raced that I wanted to take a public stance, I, I picked this girl from the Daily Wire you know, I told her about the trophy. I told her about the locker room. I told her about the severity of what we were dealing with, the silencing. And the story blew up. And so this Daily Wire interview very quickly turned into Fox, very quickly turned into to CPAC and being pulled on, on stage with President Trump and all kinds of things that by no means I felt equipped for. And so this was great. But I, I pretty quickly began to feel like I was preaching to the choir, and so that's when I began reaching out to CNN and MSNBC and a lot of the local left-leaning outlets. And each and every one of them responded back to me with, we don't want to give you a platform to spread your hate. And this was really hard for me to hear because, again, they were reporting on them. I'm offering to tell you exactly how we felt being the ones who were directly impacted by this. And so I wanted to make impact. I wanted to do something. Uh, and that's really when I began traveling state to state entirely out of my own pocket to testify on behalf of a lot of these bills being put forward that would protect women's sports. And I can now happily say that 23 have, with North Carolina being the most recent. So there's a lot of levels to this, right? There's, of course, there's the state level. Another bill that I've helped introduce at the state level is called the Women's Bill of Rights. What this is, and I can't even believe we need this, it's a law that defines the word woman. First got it passed in Kansas, then got it passed in my home state of Tennessee. Then I stood alongside Governor Stitt of Oklahoma as he signed an executive order on the Women's Bill of Rights. So really great news there. At the federal level, we have this beautiful thing called Title IX. It's a federal civil rights law that says you can't discriminate on the basis of sex on college campuses. What we faced was very clearly discrimination on the basis of sex. But we also have an administration in the White House right now rewriting Title IX to where it's no longer preventing discrimination on the basis of sex, what the Biden administration is doing is rewriting it to where it's no discrimination on the basis of gender identity. And so what this means in a nutshell, because it's a lot broader than just sports, it means men can join sororities, which is already happening. It means men can live in dorm rooms with women. It means men would take academic and athletic scholarships away from women. It means men would have full access to bathrooms, locker rooms, changing spaces on, on college campuses. Actually, under this new rewrite, I would be guilty of sexual harassment if I misgendered Thomas. So if I call Thomas a he, which I do, then I would be guilty of sexual harassment. Not the man who's parading around our locker room, but me calling a spade a spade is sexual harassment. Um, so doing everything at, at the federal level to combat that. And of course, they're going to try, to try and do it very secretly, very discreetly in a way where no one knows that it's happening, but not under my watch. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that everyone knows that that's happening. <laughs> I've done a lot of work with Representative Greg Stubbe, who pushed this bill on the House side, the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act. But believe it or not, it fell entirely on party lines. All 203 U.S. House, of, U.S. House of Representatives that are Democrats, all 203 of them, 
voted in opposition of protecting women and girls in sports. These are moms. These are dads. These are parents who have young daughters themselves within the specific sport governing bodies. FINA was the first large governing body to take a bold first step in prioritizing fairness. And they've said now, if you've gone through male puberty, you can't compete against women. And, and that's swimming. And, and now world athletics has followed suit, which is track and field. And now cycling has just done the same thing, which is really huge. The World Chess Association has done the same thing, which is great news. While that's really great news, it's really not satisfactory because their guidelines are if you have gone through male puberty, you can't. But if you've transitioned by the age of 12 hormonally, then you can compete with the women. So it was a bold first step in prioritizing fairness, but it, it's not nearly enough. But I'm appreciating the little steps to get to the bigger picture, really. I want to touch on the silencing. We were all told, you won't get a job if you speak out. You'll never get into grad school. You'll lose all your friends. You'll lose your scholarship and your playing time. Being a transphobe will follow you forever, and you don't want that. They told us you can't take a stance because your school has already taken your stance for you. Thomas's teammates, 16 of them, signed on to a letter to their university expressing their discomfort in the locker room. Their university responded back with, if you feel uncomfortable seeing male genitalia, here are some counseling resources that you should seek in an attempt to re-educate yourself. And of course, guess where the counseling services were through? the LGBTQ Education Center. They had to go to LGBTQ education meetings, mandatory every week. They told us that if we did speak out and any harm whatsoever were to come towards Thomas's way, whether that was self-inflicted, whether that was through social media, whether that was physical, mental, emotional harm, then we would be solely responsible. That's what they would tell us. They were equating us wanting privacy in our locker rooms and advocating for fairness in our sports to murder. Um, and so naturally and understandably, it kept a lot of us quiet. That's why it seems as if I've been this lone voice and lone face really fighting for this. When I can tell you my team at University of Kentucky, which again, I was captain of, and so I made sure I had these conversations, of the 40 girls on my team, 38 of them feel the exact same way I'm speaking. But it's not because we have 38 conservatives it's because we had 38 girls who had worked their entire lives to get to that point and didn't want to have to go into a race with their hands tied behind their back. But it's not just the athletes who were silenced either. The parents, they're terrified of defending their daughters because they, they work in corporate America and they don't want to lose their jobs. And understandably so, because again, that threat is very real. The amount of parents I've talked to who have lost their jobs, there was a dad in Vermont, his daughter... I mean, it's the, literally the exact same story. She was a freshman in high school. A boy joined their volleyball team, undressing with them in the locker room. These 14, 13-year-old girls didn't feel comfortable, so they went to their school administrator. The young girl, Blake, she expressed their discomfort. She was immediately suspended from her school, and she was told the only way she would be let back in is if she wrote and read a public apology expressing how she felt ashamed for her discomfort. And her dad took to Facebook to talk about it. Her dad was the soccer coach at the high school, fired. They sued, and they just won, actually, which is really great news. But the threat uh, of losing your job is very real. I actually just talked to a professor from Harvard as well who'd been there for over 20 years, and she was the undergraduate director of human evolutionary biology. They just fired her for using the terms male and female. So that threat is real. 
but also it's the coaches. It's the athletic directors. After that NCAA championships, I was alerted from my university that I was nominated for NCAA Woman of the Year, uh, which is the most prestigious honor for collegiate female athletes. Um, it's something that, that not only encompasses your athletic achievements, but also your academics. I was also the SEC Scholar Athlete of the Year, but also your service, where I was also named the SEC Community Service Leader of the Year. And so when I received this nomination for this award, I was so honored. So I was pretty excited by this until a full list of nominees for NCAA Woman of the Year came out. And it was not exclusive to just women because Leah Thomas was who University of Pennsylvania nominated as their, their most inspiring female athlete. So immediately this award was meaningless and I, I knew at that point that the NCAA, they weren't going to revisit this, they were encouraging this. A year later now, more than a year, I've been able to really step back and see how this is so much broader than just women's sports. It's happening in prisons. It's happened in New Jersey, California, of course, California, Ohio, Kansas, where men are getting into women's prisons for simply saying they are women. And these are men convicted of heinous, awful things, such as kidnapping and child pornography and, and rape. And they're realizing, as a woman, you typically get lesser charges. And it sounds great to a rapist to be in a women's prison. It's happening, as I mentioned, in sororities. There's a group of young girls at University of Wyoming who have a man living in their sorority house, but bypassed all of the necessary steps one would take to get into the sorority. And so these girls now, they're pursuing litigation, which I'm, I'm really proud of them for. The changing of the language that we use. I saw where Rachel Levine... Uh, of the Biden administration called us egg producers. Um, even the Cambridge Dictionary definition changed of woman. But if you really look at all of this for what it is, right? The changing of the language, the denying of objective truth, the silencing, the breakdown of family, the breakdown of faith, the breakdown of our freedoms, such as freedom of speech. This is textbook Marxism, textbook. Yet the people leading this country, the people in the White House right now, are actively step-by-step step leading us down this downward spiral. And I mentioned the breakdown of faith. Being a Christian myself, I entirely see this as spiritual warfare. It's really no longer good versus bad or right versus wrong. This really is moral versus evil. And I've looked that evil in the eyes a few months ago. I was in San Francisco. That was my first mistake. But I, I spoke at San Francisco State University. I was punched. I was held for ransom by these students for over three and a half hours where they demanded that if I wanted to make it home safely to see my family again, I had to pay them money. Law enforcement did nothing. They told me they didn't want to be seen as anything other than an ally to that community. The university, they doubled down on what their students did. The next day they sent an email out to their entire student body and said, we're so proud of our brave students. We applaud our brave students for handling Riley Gaines in the manner that they did. It is moral versus evil. This past year, I really have been just spiritually awakened. I've seen so clearly how God works and how he moves and how he has his hand on me. But just as clearly, I've seen how his opposition works and how he deceives and how he manipulates and how he moves through people and, and things as well. And I, I think that's pretty evident if you look at academia, if you look at the media, if you look, look at corporate America, that's pretty evident. The bigger problem, bigger of course than just women's sports, is we're denying reality. 
we're denying objective truth. We're denying biblical truth. A lie never becomes truth. Bad never becomes good. Evil never becomes moral just because it's accepted and embraced by a small portion of society. And while I agree, the name calling and the labels, and you, you will get called them. I'm constantly called, you know, transphobic, homophobic, racist, white supremacist, uh, domestic terrorist, fascist, the list goes on. What's scarier to me is not standing firm in the truth. That's a terrifying thought. If they can control how we think, what we say, what we feel, we have no legs to stand on. And this is the most basic of truths, man and woman. It's the essence of humanity. It's how we're all here. Hate to break it to you. We're all here from, from man and woman. Tonight was a lot about my how, how I got here. But my why, if you guys saw the messages that I received daily from young girls, from parents, from coaches who don't know what to do, it's hundreds. And that's my why. I actually just launched the Riley Gaines Center, which is a training program to uh, really train and empower and equip leaders with the materials and with the effective communication skills to be ready to be a leader, um, stand firm in their, their unwavering values. And so there was going to be a lot of school board trainings, um, creating campus leaders, community leaders, national leaders, whatever that looks like, and also a way to fund to put conservative speakers back on college campuses. Um, because again, coming from a college campus, I know how you're essentially deemed a criminal for saying you're a conservative um, and defending the freedom of speech. So I appreciate you guys being here. I appreciate you guys being ready to roll up your sleeves and say enough is enough because Illinois needs help. And this is an amazing event, so thank you. Conservative women's rights activist Riley Gaines. Our thanks to Tim Ozinga and the Will County Republican Central Committee for allowing Spotlight to record her remarks during the organization's fundraising dinner in August 2023. Please support the work of the Illinois Family Institute. All donations are tax-deductible and throughout December will be matched dollar for dollar up to $100,000 and perhaps even more. Go to IllinoisFamily.org to give and for updates. And while you're there, sign on for IFI email alerts. Keep IFI in your prayers and tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.